0: This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio.
1: Come on, Susie, You know you want to sing it. Are we saying Dak Prescott is a smooth operator? Is that what we're doing? We know we're not talking about Evan. <laughs> What's that now? We know we're not talking not about him. Smooth smooth you the dancers? No, he just, no, just gave you the snap. No, he just gave you the snap. No, that didn't do anything. <laughs> Double snap? No. Please stop snapping. <laughs> please, stop Please snap. stop <laughs> snapping. Making, my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter. is a
2: Phenomenal <laughs> snapper. I don't know where she got it from. What makes it so great? Really? Like it's loud and intense. Yeah. Like it could be a sound effect. It's I don't what? know.
1: My wife was fascinated by the fact that I could actually snap fingers on both hands. I don't know why that's a thing. Oh. Because she can only do it on her all left right, hand. right. Let's see here. Here's my right yeah. hand.
2: Yeah. Here's my left hand. Yeah, oh, my right can. hand's better than my but left you can, hand. You can snap oh, a righty them,
1: though. Yeah. You can
2: snap. Man, my them. lefty snaps not good. Got to improve that. In- Let me hear Just Put it up to the microphone so we can yeah. hear. Here's the righty snap. No, your lefty's way worse. It's no, a little hey, dull. hear your righty. A little, a little off. Oh evolve. yeah, no, Smalls, you're that a lefty, right? That was crisper. Okay, yeah. here's the left. Good, not yeah. great.
3: No, I can't even. do Oh, Smalls like Mr. fingers. <laughs> I know. <It's> like <laughs> I know. I can't even do it. Wow. Can you do the thing where you separate your fingers, like ET call home?
2: No, I think. Well, this doesn't work on radio,
1: by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <Just laughs> Why are do we doing it? Just wondering. I think I can, right? Into the ET? Okay. I'm just wondering because it's another hand thing. Yeah, gotcha. Can you do it? No, I can't do it. Mm. Can't. Can you
2: roll the R's like no, like that? I'm no, good at that. No? no. no? Smalls? I don't want to do it. What is
1: happening right now? I don't know what's going on. You know what?
3: We've, we've gotten off the rails. We're talking about snapping
1: fingers, and then we're just snapping going fingers all, all, all the way off the step. Way. What is it called? You can do it you can do by yourself. There you go. Baby girl.
2: Presented by <laughs> Progressive Insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Sirius XM Channel 80. Well, that's T-Pain. Come on now. Yes, no, I was
3: thinking, let me see you do it. A different song. Oh, different song. Different song. I know different what you're song. talking about. I know where
1: you're going, though, Smalls. Thank I'm you. not going to leave you out there by yourself. Thank you. I appreciate I'm not going to well, treat you like Zach Wilson in the Jets' offense. That's right. oh. Wow, what a transition for the big that. guy. I'm not going <laughs> to do not <that. laughs> <Don't laughs>
2: leave us here at the Heineken uh, River Deck at Pier 17. It's on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. As, yes, yesterday the Cowboys beat the New York Jets 30-10 to 10 on a football Sunday that saw the Bills bounce back. Lamar looked like maybe MVP again. Kansas City win an ugly game against Jacksonville. Tennessee basically sending Brandon Staley to sit with us in a few weeks. Uh, Atlanta comes back on Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay was up 24-12 going into the fourth. And Atlanta now undefeated. Seattle beats Detroit after blowing a lead in overtime. The Colts win, but Anthony Richardson gets banged up with concussion protocol. Bucks are 2-0. Bears 0-2. Tom Waddle's going to join us. ESP 1000 and former Bear in a little bit. The Giants had the biggest comeback in their franchise history. San Francisco is undefeated yet again. They won the final 10 games last Year, first two this year. Washington comes back from 21 3 down on Denver, and Miami has a great win last night of Sunday Night Football against the New England Patriots 24 17. But the Cowboys, arguably, guys, are maybe the best team in the NFL. Their defense is dominant, and Dak and Mike McCarthy just simply are not making mistakes, and sometimes that's enough.
1: No, you're absolutely right. And the Cowboys were impressive yesterday. You're talking about them having four scoring drives of 60 yards or more. And to me, being able to sustain drives, being able to control time of possession was one of the biggest factors that led to the win. So the four turnovers, that's obviously huge for their defense being able to lead the way in that regard. But then the offense being able to take advantage of that by being able to control time of possession. They held the ball for over 42 minutes. They were 9-18 on third downs alone. Like, the fact that they were able to exhibit that level of ball control against what is a really good Jets defense is impressive. And to me, it speaks to the creativity and the innovative innovation that I would say. I can't believe I'm attributing these two things to Mike <laughs> McCarthy. But that's what I saw. I mean, just being able to move guys around to be able to find the matchups – Get your playmakers the ball in their spots. Like CeeDee Lamb, 11 catches for 143 yards. You don't think the Jets went into that game trying to stop CeeDee Lamb? Of course. Of course they did. Of course. But Mike McCarthy moving them around the formation, utilizing motions and shifts. I thought all of those things helped Dak Prescott see the picture clearly when it came to a Jets defense that's really good at disguising. Okay, I got to go off on one thing. What's and I, up? And I understand you're
2: not attacking him, but but in a way you alluded to your surprise. Can we start giving Mike McCarthy credit? CC just said, I can't believe I'm saying this about Mike McCarthy and giving him credit for creativity. This guy won a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers, had Aaron Rodgers performing at the highest level at the time, coached many other good quarterbacks during the course of his career, goes to Dallas, has won double-digit games multiple times, has them 2-0. I don't know why. He seemingly is public enemy number one. Nobody wants to give this guy credit. He is easily a top-10 coach in the NFL. Easily. When you look at body of work, it's not a question. Historically, his numbers are the exact same as Sean Payton. And, yes, I know where CC's going to go because he's brought it up before. The idea, well, Sean Payton, what he took over in, in New Orleans under the real-life circumstances, I'm not taking that away from him, right, of Hurricane Katrina and the and the, the city where it was at the time. That's real-life stuff. I'm talking about football stuff, the non-important stuff in the grand scheme of things, the, the fun and games department, so to speak. I think Mike McCarthy is awesome. And I think that people hate his clock management late. People hate him in the postseason. But there are many coaches in this league that Mike McCarthy is better than. Is he better than Andy Reid? No. Is he better than Mike Tomlin? No. Is he better than Bill Belichick? No. But Mike McCarthy is a big-time, top-ten coach that, for whatever reason, nobody wants to give any credit to. Well,
1: let me ask you this question. What's the better side of the ball in Dallas? Is it the offense or the defense? He's still the no, i I'm, I'm No, I'm asking the question. The defense. Okay. Who gets most credit for that defense being able to get turned around? Dan Quinn. It's Dan Quinn. It's who hired president. him? Uh, Jerry Jones. You think... Well, Mike Jerry, McCarthy... Jerry Jones hired Okay, Jerry Jones him. also Jones, hired Callum Moore. And Callum Moore was a disaster. Yeah, and they moved on from it. Right, him. But I mean, now they're good. But you're asking why does Mike McCarthy not get the credit, and I'm trying to explain to you why. That team is led by their defense, not their offense. Their defense had four takeaways yesterday. Their turnover margin is plus seven on the season. They have the best player in all of football in Micah Parsons. I mean, when you look at what that defense has been able to do in terms of creating opportunities for that offense, stealing extra possessions, getting them field position, forcing three and outs, all of those things make Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott's life easier. That's why Mike McCarthy is not going to get a ton of credit. And I'm sorry, you don't get a lot of points for beating up on – what seemed to be two bottom of the NFL teams with the New York Jets and the New York Giants. Now, we'll see what ends up happening with the Giants, but the Jets were on a backup quarterback, a failed former first-round pick in Zach Wilson from three seasons ago. So, we still have questions about how good the Dallas Cowboys can be, and those questions aren't going to get answered until they face other teams that have similar expectations, but it's obvious to me through the first two weeks that this defense is good enough for the Dallas Cowboys to go on a deep playoff run. And if this team becomes undone, it would be because of Mike McCarthy (laughs) and because of that offense, nobody is going to blame that defense.
3: No, absolutely not. And through two weeks, they've been absolutely outstanding. But I think in regards to Mike McCarthy, in Green Bay, when it started to go south, what do we do? We either blame the head coach or we blame the quarterback. And in Green Bay, someone had to take the fall or have the finger be pointed pointed at them, Mm -hmm. as to why in the Aaron Rodgers era you weren't winning more Super Bowls. Mike McCarthy became that guy. In Dallas, the pressure is different. It's different for Dak Prescott. It's different for whether it's Mike McCarthy, Jason Garrett, whoever's the head coach in Dallas, the pressure is different. And when you have early postseason outs, in the manner in which the Dallas Cowboys have, you point to Dak Prescott and you point to the head coach. Simple as that. That's what happens. And we do gloss over the fact that he's a really good head coach and that he's had a lot of success in this league because it's different when you are coaching the team that has the star in their helmet.
2: Yeah, and I understand that. I just think that Mike McCarthy, I would look at that as, a, as his positive spin. He was able to be successful in Green Bay. Hard place to be, Mm -hmm. the pressure, right? Like you have to live up to the expectations, especially when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback. And obviously what you just said about Dallas. And he's been successful both places. Now you brought up Rodgers. So Friday, Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show here on ESPN, on ESPN Plus, YouTube, et cetera, uh, noon until 3 Eastern time. And he was asked whether or not he could see himself back for the playoffs. Let's take a listen.
0: I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make any of those statements. I don't feel like that's fair to myself. I'm
2: just.
1: Uh, is it a possibility?
0: I think, uh, as Kevin Garnett said, uh, anything's possible. <laughs> wow.
2: wow. Wow. Okay. So there's supposedly, reportedly, some kind of advanced surgery because you know this is a guy that obviously trusts medicine and science a ton. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, I guess, is going to be trusting the science, and there's some advanced surgery now. He's not coming back. I'm not I'm not doubting Rodgers. I'm just doubting coming back this
1: season. Don't worry, because I'll I'll doubt him Go enough ahead. for the both of us. I, I I don't know that he's gonna come back and play football at all. Like I know everybody's saying, well, we'll wait and see what happens with the rest of this season. Listen, Aaron Rodgers ain't coming back before the season is ultimately gonna be decided by the Jets. If you got a roll with Zach Wilson for the remaining 15 games, your season is gonna be over with. The Jets told us this offseason that Zach Wilson, no matter how much potential that he has, is not going to be good enough to be able to get it done and to go on a deep playoff run in the current window that they've put together with this core of players. And so Aaron Rodgers was supposed to be the solution for that. But now we're talking about a guy that has a torn Achilles that is knocking on being 40 years old, his birthday is in December, and then the prospects of him coming back next year and being healthier – and providing some semblance of the guy that won MVPs back in 2020 and 2021? I'm sorry, guys. I'm just not buying into it. You don't get healthier as you get older. And if that's the case, then if you're the New York Jets formulating your plan at the quarterback possession, position for the foreseeable future, why should your decision on what you do hinge on what Aaron Rodgers can and can't be or whether or not Aaron Rodgers does or doesn't want to come back? To me, if you're the Jets – if Aaron Rodgers wants to be a part of the quarterback equation, that's fine. But I'm going out and trying to find another option, one that I can rely on, one that I can actually win with in, 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 over the next couple of years as an alternative to Rodgers. Because you just can't trust whether or not he's going to be healthy and or good enough to be able to get you where you want to go.
3: Yeah, I know he doesn't want to put any finite amount of uh, a timetable on this. But then he also said... Give me your timetables, and I'll beat them. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the exact quote. So yeah. he's kind of going back and forth on that. And what Cam Akers, I think, is the one that came back in five months after he tore an Achilles. Younger, Cam
1: Akers, early 20s.
3: Younger player, yeah. different player. Also, Act. Aaron Rodgers' age. Even random in Aaron,
2: healthy scratch yesterday for random trade potential possibility with Cam Akers. But yeah. go ahead. Yeah. yeah.
3: But I would not put Aaron Rodgers in that category. Even if he, in five months, was able to rehab to where he felt It felt good enough. I would not throw him out there. Why would you even risk that? And
2: they're not going to be good enough. And
3: they're not going to be good enough in that position.
2: And the only way they could be good enough is if they get somebody better than Zach Wilson. If they get somebody better than Zach Wilson to be good enough, they're not going to rush Rodgers back to be their quarterback this year because they found someone good enough. So it's a double-edged sword on this. And plus, for anybody that wants to see Rodgers play long-term, which you should,
1: rushing back this year doesn't help. But here's the other thing to it. And we're not talking about this, but you brought up the Kirk Cousins possibility for a while now. If you trade for Kirk Cousins because the Vikings fall out of it, why wouldn't you commit to Kirk Cousins being your quarterback beyond 2023? Why, why would you have this allegiance, this loyalty to Aaron Rodgers? I, I just uh, it, it feels like you would be holding on to something or chasing for something that might not ever happen, which is Aaron Rodgers getting back to an MVP form. I mean, Kirk Cousins is a more than capable quarterback. He's proven that on every single occasion. They lost in the Thursday night game to the Philadelphia Eagles. Wasn't Kirk Cousins' fault. He played his tail off. So, the numbers
3: were great. So so,
1: so my <laughs> biggest point is this. If you're the New York Jets, why wouldn't you go with a younger option that gives you more runway in terms of the amount of years that your teams can compete for championships? It just seems to make sense. Why do we have to make a decision to fix the quarterback position that also leaves open the possibility that Aaron Rodgers is our quarterback in 2024? I think that, that program would be doing a disservice to themselves if that's what they decided to do before the trade deadline. If they're deciding that we're not going to make any decision that keeps us from considering Aaron Rodgers as a possibility in 2024, I think that's a mistake, and that's a disservice to the guys in that locker
2: room. I'll give you one other thing on the Jets. A guy who's played nine games in his career, I don't want to hear you complaining about lack of touches. Brees Hall, pipe down. You're not Jim Brown. I mean, you know, going out there on on social media and putting the four football emojis out there because you only got four carries. Brees, Relax. You, I mean, give me a break. You're going to complain already? That doesn't help this team. But
1: that's what happens when you have a young team that has championship aspirations that gets dealt this kind of adversity early on in the season. They don't have a lot of guys that have experience dealing with this. And that's why this Rodgers situation on its face was viewed as so combustible. We said it's going to be either great or it's going to be really, really bad. Either way, it's spectacular for the Jets, one way or the other. And it's starting to feel like it's going to be spectacular in the wrong way, and that has to be concerning for Jets fans.
2: Coming up, is someone on this show ready to pronounce a Super Bowl contender? Done. We'll get to that next on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio.
1: For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer.
0: This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. He still reeks of chicken wings and mayonnaise after a long NFL Sunday. Hey, they do chicken wings. I love chicken wings. The man does he have some thoughts. This is Upon Further Review with Chris Ganty.
1: Let's kick things off in Dallas with number five. Number five. Are we sure that Kellen Moore wasn't a problem with the Cowboys and their offensive struggles, especially in the postseason? I mean, think about this. In the losses to the San Francisco 49ers in the last couple of postseasons, you're talking about the Dallas Cowboys scoring 12 points and I want to say 17 points respectively. You're talking about scoring 70 points through the first two weeks of the regular season. And this is an offense that has had, count them, seven drives where they've had 60 or more yards to go in order to score. Seven scoring drives where they've gone 60 or more yards. This offense is clicking on all cylinders. They were 9-18 on third downs yesterday. If you want to nitpick, maybe they weren't great in the red zone, but it doesn't seem to matter because this offense finds a way to be able to sustain drives and be able to control time of possession. The Dallas Cowboys offense, under Mike McCarthy, dare I say, has looked more creative and more innovative than I remember seeing them the last couple of years.
3: And doesn't Dak look so comfortable in it? Mike McCarthy called it a Dak-friendly offense, and through two weeks, it feels like it certainly is.
1: Yeah. Number four. Number four. Yes, Russ is cooked in Denver. Now, I know that everybody wants to make all of these excuses for Russell Wilson, but I said that the Sean Payton-Russell Wilson forced marriage or arranged marriage wasn't going to work out. Russ likes to play off schedule, off script. Sean wants his quarterback to get the ball out on time. That contrast has led to Russell Wilson having varied results. And you're talking about Russell Wilson when he has thrown the ball in less than three seconds having a 45 QBR versus when he holds the ball for more than three seconds having a 79 QBR. Now they scored 33 points. They ended up losing the second to last drive. Russell Wilson has a wide open Adam Trotman on a slant route inbreaker breaker in the end zone. Misses him. Smalls. The, the The ball would have had to travel from as far as me to you, and Russell Wilson couldn't put it on his receiver. That is an indictment on the quarterback. That's not on the head coach. They blew a 21 to three lead, and when they had that 21 to three lead, their possessions went as followed: fumble, punt, punt, interception. Field goal punt, field goal Hail Mary. It ain't exactly what you're looking for in terms of being able to keep the pressure on an opponent that you have down in your building. Russell Wilson, his days might be numbered as the starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Keeping it pushing. Number three. The Dolphins are currently the team to beat in the AFC. And yes, I know what I'm saying because the Kansas City Chiefs have been that team for the last five years. But this is the most explosive offense in the National Football League when Tua is healthy. And now they have a defense that has, I guess, equaled them in terms of being able to be playmakers. And what they did yesterday, the Bradley Chubb strip off of Douglas, the wide receiver, when the Patriots are in the plus territory, or the Xavier Howard pick in the red zone, those are game-changing plays for that Dolphins defense. And the ceiling on this team is going to be determined by how good that defense is. We know the offense they're bringing to the party, and they have two playing at a near MVP level. But Vic Fangio might be the biggest offseason addition for any team this entire year. Number two, Brandon Staley is going to be fired at some point soon. Brandon Staley is going to be working for us in a few weeks, guys. Let's just embrace it. They blew another double-digit lead yesterday of heartbreaking fashion in overtime down there in Nashville. But going back to the beginning of last year, they have the most losses when having a double-digit lead at any point during the game. I'm sorry Brandon Staley says the Jacksonville Jaguars loss in the playoffs is not carried over into this season, but it certainly feels like it has. And until this team gets off the mat and actually closes out a game where they have a huge lead, it's going to be a problem.
0: Number one.
1: The Cincinnati Bengals are going to miss the playoffs. All right? The Cincinnati Bengals are going to miss the playoffs. Since they had division realignment in 2002, there have been seven teams that have started out the season 0-2 and 0-2 being in the division. The Cincinnati Bengals are that 17th. The previous six teams missed the playoffs. Joe Burrow is not the same guy. He's got the calf injury from at the end of yesterday's game. And I just feel like this is the year where they might take a step back because of unforeseen circumstances in the health of the quarterback.
2: Yeah, I wonder if it's a step back or a gap year. Because I wonder if Burrow is banged up, what's the point of playing through this? If right now, and there's always a point, point and I know they started 0-2 in the past, and I know how good they could be, but if he really is hurt and he's out for an extended period of time, they are going to be nowhere near as good as they've been in years past. And if you have the the Baltimore Ravens, the way that they've played through two games, if the Browns go out there tonight, On Monday Night Football, ESPN, ESPN Plus, and watch and and ABC and and play well and win that game. You're behind the eight ball here that I just wonder whether or not you kind of look at it and be like, ah, whatever. Like, Because they're good enough where they're going to be really good in the future. You know that with Burrow and Jamar Chase and company. T. Higgins, maybe maybe he doesn't get re-signed, and maybe that's what does, you do in terms does, of the trade. Or does that like that.
1: Now, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Does that open the door for T. Higgins to get traded before the trade deadline?
2: Oh, it, maybe. It's, it's not the worst thing in the world that if Burrow's going to be hurt, instead of trying to make something out of it, just— Take a gap year. And I know that that's not the ideal scenario, but there's a lot worse out there. Like, you don't worry about the Bengals long-term. I I believe that Joe Burrow and this team will win a Super Bowl at some point. It's just not going to be this year if he's hurt.
3: Yeah, but I also want to give them the benefit of the doubt. You Mm. don't know how long it's going to take for him to come back. And I know they're 0-2. I know they've lost... Two games to division opponents, and it's a tough hole to come out of. We don't know what's going on with Joe Burrow and the calf if he tweaked it or re it. But I also don't want to count out the Cincinnati Bengals just yet. I think given what we've seen out of this team and out of Joe Burrow specifically, shouldn't we give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that they could come back? Yeah, yeah but place. you know what?
1: This 0-2 feels different than last year's 0-2, right? Like last year's 0-2, you understood he didn't have a lot of preseason He came out, you played a Steelers team that was, you know, feisty, and they opened the season well under Mike Tomlin. And then it was the Dallas Cowboys, one of the best defenses. But Joe Burrow's health is the biggest concern in all of this. And he tweaked his calf, and we just don't know when that's going to be healthy. Evan brought up the point earlier that every snap he took yesterday was in shotgun, and that's by design because the guy can't move around from under center. So I just wonder if Burrow can be good enough to help them get their season turned around. I just feel like this is the year where the rest of the division is catching up because of the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens, and Joe Burrow's health is going to put a cap on just how far the Bengals can go.
2: They have an extra day to prep. Their next game is on the ESPN Family of Networks on ESPN and ESPN2. Next Monday night, the 25th, against the Rams, Monday night football at home. Winnable game if Burrow's healthy. Not as much if he's not, so he has an extra day. But if he doesn't play in that 0-3 is drastically different than zero and two. I know that feels ridiculous to say, but you look up statistics on that. Which and by you look up, I mean like you do it because I'm not going. to <laughs> That's too hard to look that up. Candy has a calculator. I don't bring a calculator to work. Well, he here. has an iPhone. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's true.
1: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
0: This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio.
2: It is Unsportsmanlike here on ESPN Radio. Presented by Progressive Insurance along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. You can watch us on ESPNU, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and many... Great ESPN stations all across the country, like ESPN 1000 in Chicago, where the Bears are heard each and every week, and the Bears are 0-2 this season after a loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yesterday, 27-17. We know about the Bears' hype all offseason. Justin Fields, MVP candidate. You even had people out there preemptively celebrating in Vegas wearing Speedos, Waddle and (laughs) Silby, going out there and all pumped up for this Bears season. Tom Waddle is a former Wide receiver for the Chicago Bears hosts Waddle and Sylvie with uh, Mark Silverman each and every day 2 p to 6 p Central
6: Time and he joins us
2: now. Tommy is Justin Fields good?
6: <laughs> First of all, Evan, I'm wearing my speedo now. I mean, oh, it's, it's, it's not the Vegas look. <laughs> my bad. It's 24 seven. By the way, uh, congrats to all of you on the on the new show. You guys sound great. Thank you. Um, is Justin Fields good? Not at the moment. Um, Look, I I said this last week after their loss to Green Bay. uh, In in that game, I I didn't think Justin was their biggest problem. But in year three, he's got to start providing more solutions. Um, The the protection obviously hasn't been good. Some have questioned the the play calling as well. But when you are given the reins of an NFL offense, and uh, what do they say, too much is given, much is expected, we just haven't seen Justin provide the answers that are necessary, and we haven't seen the growth that we were all looking for through the first two games of this season.
1: Tom, the, the play call at the, backed up at your own end zone, the screen at the end of it. Uh, I mean, when you're, when you're down by three points and you call that screen pass, I thought it was a terrible call, even worse execution. But I got to ask you, for the life but, of me, why did Justin Fields throw that ball? Why? Why do you go over yeah, so much traffic? Why make that decision? Like I, I thought at year three we should, we, we should have grown past the point when you're making those types of decisions that lead to, essentially, the game being put on ice.
6: It's, it's a great question. Um, you, you know, the, the play call, like we can discuss that for sure, but the decision-making, ultimately when you get to the line of scrimmage, the quarterback has full control, and if he doesn't like the look, check out. And if you still go along with the play and you see what's transpiring, throw it, dirt it, throw it to ground. I mean, throw it in the stands. Um, if there's some traffic or your line of sight is impeded, don't go through with the play. So at, at that point, I, I, if, if we're assessing blame, more blame is going to player error. air. The execution just hasn't been there. Hasn't been there for the entire team, but the quarterback's execution is more important than anyone's. I'd say this too, uh, that, you know, Luke Getty is not Kyle Shanahan. I have been a self-professed fan of what Getty has done in a short period of time. He hasn't had a whole lot to work with, and I thought after about four or five games last year, he did a nice job trying to tailor an offense to a group of people that really had a limited skill set. So so I'm, I'm not suggesting that he's the world's greatest game planner or play caller, but if you're game planning and you're putting in plays and you see people running wide open all over the field and your quarterback won't pull the trigger and won't throw the football, then what are you going to do? You start calling plays where, you know, the quarterback's going to throw the ball. You're going to throw screens. You're going to throw short routes. So it's a cycle of, of crap for a lack of a better word. I don't want to get technical with you, but it's just the recipe for disaster. They're, They're not getting what they need out of the quarterback. They're not getting what they need out of the the offensive line. Look, this is a great, I think, a great stat that sums up where my favorite football team is. Our offense gave up 10 quarterback hits and six sacks. Our defense had one quarterback hit and zero sacks. We're getting killed in the trenches, and the quarterback isn't providing enough answers.
3: Well, with all that being said, Tom, confidence check. On the confidence meter, where are you at as far as Justin Fields and him turning this around after two weeks?
6: I'm below five for sure. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a patient person. I've learned to be one um, for a number of reasons. But, look, I came into this season cautiously optimistic. I wasn't part of the he's an MVP candidate crew. I thought that that was ridiculous. You don't go from zero to MVP. I'm looking for significant improvement. I haven't seen it. This is going to be a process that takes more than a couple of games. I'm not going to start screaming Tyson Bajan's name at this point. I don't think anybody should. They've got to come to a decision at the end of this season whether or not Justin is their answer going forward. They have the, the draft capital, and they have the financial flexibility, if they have to, to pivot and go in a different direction if Justin doesn't prove he's their guy. It's not time to jump off the ship yet, but it's taken on water, I guess is the best way to say it. And and I just don't know at this time, if if, if you're struggling with some of the basic Uh, concepts of of quarterback play at this moment through 26 career starts. I just don't know that it magically gets all better. I think you can put together kind of a hybrid offense where you're not asking him to sit back in the pocket 34 times. You get him on the edge. You ask him to run it six or eight times. You cut the field in half and then you start getting him comfortable in that manner. But that's a short-term fix. That's not what you want to do for a quarterback that is looking to be your franchise guy and potentially take home a $200 million quarterback. So confidence low right now.
2: It's on like on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen, joined by Tom Waddle, former Bears wide receiver Waddle and Sylvie, ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Tom, conspiracy theory that may not be much of a conspiracy. The Bears didn't draft number one overall last year because they liked the 2024 QB class better than the 2023 QB class. Fair or unfair?
6: Um, I think, Evan, I, I'll answer it this way. Had Caleb Williams been in this year's draft, this would have been a, a much more difficult decision for Ryan Poles and the group up at Hollis Hall. Um, I don't think it was a tough decision for them. They wanted to see what Justin can do, and I think they still want to see what Justin can do. And I, don't, I think that the size of Bryce Young scared the hell out of him, and the other two guys didn't, didn't overwhelm them think the decision will be much easier this coming season if in fact you don't see from Justin what you want to see, I think it's an easier decision. Um, uh, but like I said, had the quarterback class of 2024 been available in 2023, I think this decision would have been much more difficult for
1: them. Tom, last year we saw the Chicago Bears players at the trade deadline. they traded away Roquan Smith, they added Chase Claypool. Curious from your perspective, if things continue to trend the way that they're trending right now for this team. Do you envision them making any moves at the deadline, either acquiring or trading off players?
6: Chris, it's been interesting for this team, regardless of how they perform. The new the new, you know, management crew with Ryan Poles, they've been very active. Like they're 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 looking down every road and through you know, whatever means to to try to improve themselves. I think I, I'm not suggesting that how do you sell a roster that, by the way, they've lost twelve straight games going back to last year and the opponent has scored 25 points in each of those games, which is the first time in NFL history that has ever happened. So they're setting records up at Hallis Hall. They're just not good records. I don't think there's – I don't think they can, you know, have a a garage sale because I don't know if they have enough that anyone would want. But I do believe that the general manager will be aggressive about acquiring people that he thinks makes them better, like – I'm a Ryan Poles guy. I like the majority of what he's done. He's a BC guy as am I. So, you know, I am I'm, I'm a little biased on that front, but some of the decisions he's made early, you know, they're, they're, they're up for question. The chase Claypool chase was a little better yesterday, but you haven't gotten a, tr- a ton of productivity out of him. There've been many questions about how he goes about his work. So I think everybody's under the microscope up at Hall's Hall at this point, for sure.
3: Okay, Tom, you're a BC guy. I'm an Illinois girl, which means all of my friends are from Chicago, and I hear about the Bears all the time. I understand how important this franchise is to that city and how starved they've been for success and for a franchise quarterback. So give us an emotional check-in on the fan base right now. A lot of hopes for Justin Fields and a lot of hope for this team. After two weeks, it's not great. So tell us what the fan base feels on this Monday morning.
6: Uh, sadly, dogs are being kicked, and the city's about to get burnt. So... Um, <laughs> I mean I don't know you're 100% right that that we, everyone in this town had had such high expectations not just for the quarterback but that everything would look different and they're still in a rebuild so I would caution you know caution people to think that they were going to go from being a 3 and 14 team to one of these sexy picks to to find their way at the top of the division or maybe sneak in as a wild card that to me was just too there was a bridge too far for me. But there were some that allowed themselves to dream. And we have wandered through the quarterback forest for so many years that anytime you see anything that gives you hope, people, I think, get excited about it. And right now, uh, collectively, daubers down in, uh, in the Windy City.
2: Tom, last thing. we got about 30 seconds here. I don't know that any of us, the four of us in this conversation, have said the name of Matt Eberflus. What is his role in all of this, the head coach of the Bears?
6: Well, he was calling defensive plays yesterday, so he was in charge of that defense. I saw them pressure or try to pressure, blitz more than I've seen since he took over, and they still couldn't get to Baker Mayfield. So um, I think ultimately he's going to be held accountable as well. I think that, uh, you know, if they have another disastrous season this year like they had last year, which was planned, that was a pure teardown. I I, I don't think anybody's safe, to be honest with you. Mm.
2: Tom, let's see. You talked about uh, being in a Speedo currently and uh, the emotions yep. of the Bears fans <laughs> are not good right now. You said it all. You really did. There's nothing left to say. Tom, thanks so much. We appreciate it.
6: Thank you all. Have a great day.
2: We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there.
4: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: This is the Unsportsmanlike Podcast on ESPN Radio.
2: It is Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. You can watch us on ESPNU. Listen to us on Sirius XM 80, ESPN app, and all the great stations across the country. You hear the music. Monday Night Football Preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. We have two Monday Night Games tonight, both on the ESPN Family of Networks. 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time, the Saints favored by three on the road at the Panthers. And at 8.15 p.m. Eastern, that game's on ESPN and ESPN2, and at 8.15 p.m. Eastern time on ABC and ESPN Plus, we have the Browns on the road at Pittsburgh. Cleveland favored by two points. Both road teams are favorites going into the game tonight. So everyone seems to be, let's start with the later game, everyone seems to be pumped up on the Browns as they should based on the week one performance against the Bengals. But picking the Browns, I just want to point this out, (laughs) means you're going against Mike Tomlin. Going against Mike Tomlin in general usually means you lose for the last almost 20 years. Yeah, So I just want that to kind of live over this conversation. I I
1: get that you want that out there, but I'm not picking against Mike Tomlin as much as I am picking against the offensive and defensive fronts for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because, I mean, the San Francisco 49ers pass rush ran roughshod over that offensive line, and then they let Christian McCaffrey run amok in the run game. Nick Chubb is an all-pro running back last time I checked. Now, I get it. They're going to be without Jack Conklin tonight, who's a big piece of that Browns offensive line, but it's still one of the better offensive lines in all of football. And no Cam Hayward for the Pittsburgh Steelers means you're going to have an even tougher time stopping the run. So the two points, I I don't know. I I feel like I'm comfortable laying the two points, and I think that this Browns defense gives Cleveland an opportunity to make this ugly for Pittsburgh.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. The Browns defense looked amazing in week one. Deshaun Watson certainly looked like he uh, is getting back to form. I, I like the Browns. I know it seems foolish to pick against Mike Tomlin two weeks in a row, especially when the Steelers are at home, but I like the Browns in on this one.
2: Yeah, I would go with the Steelers, but obviously majority rules on this. I just don't believe in picking against Mike Tomlin. The Saints and the Panthers, Saints are favored by three on the road at the Panthers. And so if you give the home team normally three points in a pick game, in essence, the Saints are favored by six if you kind of look at it that way. And the Saints had a good week. One that division, all of a sudden, is much better than we anticipated, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Atlanta; they're two and zero comeback win yesterday against Green Bay. Yep. Big fourth quarter down twenty four twelve. Jordan Love threw two games, six touchdowns, but oh for six in the fourth quarter yesterday. Desmond Ritter just does his job when yeah. that's all he's asked to do: yeah. give the ball to Bijan Robinson, Drake London, Kyle <laughs> Pitts, etc. And then uh, Tampa, as we've discussed, I mean, they're two and zero now. Mike Evans, in what is probably a contract year for him, or maybe going somewhere else at some point, had a huge game yesterday. Baker May field as the quarterback. Saints favored by three on the road at the Panthers.
1: Yeah, this line scares me because I'm sitting here looking at it. ATS, 61% of the cash is on the Carolina Panthers. Now, I guess that's because they're a home dog mm-hmm. and they're getting those three points. But if you watch the Panthers week one against the Atlanta Falcons, they just did not look competent. and I can't believe I'm saying that about a Frank Wright coach team, but look disjointed, they looked disoriented, and they didn't look like they could protect Bryce Young. And that's got to be my biggest concern going up against a Saints defense that has shown itself to give opposing quarterbacks all kinds of problems. Look at what they did to Ryan Tannehill in week one, and then look at how good Ryan Tannehill looked yesterday in their win against the Chargers. So I think it's going to be another long game, a long night for Bryce Young, on the way to it being a long season for Bryce Young. I think the Saints get it done. I have no problem laying the three.
3: So we're picking the Saints. Do you feel good picking the Saints?
2: I'm okay with that. I'm also interested in if it is a long season for Bryce Young. That means the Bears have an even better pick. It ties right back into the oh, Justin yeah. Fields conversation because yep. remember the Panthers gave up this year's first rounder in order to move up to number 1, I want to say from number 9 if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then, so the Bears have an extra first rounder. Also, the Texans, remember, have an extra first rounder from the Cardinals. Um, I'm sorry, the other way around other Cardinals, way, right. from the Texans, Cardinals from the Texans. Right? So you have a couple of these teams that could finish pretty high up in the draft order. Also, from a gamble, I'm fine with that if we're going to take the Saints. From a gambling perspective, a couple other notes from yesterday. So the Titans have an NFL high 23 wins as underdog since 2018, mm. which means if Mike Vrabel's an underdog, don't bet against him. They went and beat the Chargers okay. yesterday. The other thing is, the, the according to Caesars, the line finished at seven points. Niners were a seven-point favorite over the Rams yesterday. The Rams are down 10. They kick a meaningless field goal as time expires, basically, to make it a push. How, how did, did Sean you do- McVay have that in his mind? You I don't, think he knew that.
1: But, why, but here's my point. Why kick the field goal? It ain't like this is the BCS, like where, they, where we have the committee that decides whether or not you get into the playoff. This ain't that. Yeah. Point differential ain't going to matter as far as that's concerned. So I, I just don't understand it. I mean, I guess maybe if you think the division is going to come down to you and the 49ers having the points, I, I don't know, man. No chances. It, it, like really, it just seems really, really weird. The fact that he would kick a field goal knowing that they were down ten points. I, I just I don't understand it. You can't justify it. You can't make it make sense other than to say that Sean Legay yeah. knows somebody that had some money on the game. That's
3: where everyone's mind went, right?
1: Yeah.
2: What was the spread? I don't I don't know this. What was the spread of the Broncos? I think the Broncos commanders we gotta take a look at also going in because the Hail Mary and then the missed two point conversion, which should have been a defensive pass interference, but that I would assume that affected the spread yesterday with Broncos and Commanders, no?
1: Because of that uh, Hail mary late? It, it, it might have. Let me see where the game closed at. I mean, uh, Denver was favored
2: by four points. Four points. Yeah. Four points.
1: Four points. So that do the math. So. Yeah, do the math. I mean, listen. Is what it is. It's too much math. you have your calculator still out? No, no I don't have I have the iPhone. I'd have to go into it. It would take too much time. We don't have that much show left. I don't know what you want from me. Mm. Well, there is your Monday Night he Football. pulled the pin and handed me a grenade
2: yeah. when it
3: came to that. Get the math. Yeah,
2: exactly. That's your Monday Night Football preview. Uh, Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy <laughs> discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your production in one place. Bundle and save it. Progressive.com. Yeah,
1: I don't know how much math we have to do. Denver was a four-point favorite, and they lost. I was told there'd be no math. Yeah, just I don't even understand that. It shouldn't have been that it shouldn't have been that close with the Hail Mary. I mean the commanders botched that six weeks to Sunday. Uh, yeah. Yes, and they should have been a defensive pass interference. Well, oh, uh, here's the thing. The game wouldn't have come down to that play if Russell Wilson actually threw the ball to a wide receiver that was less than five yards away.
2: So if a team has, like, a crazy catch, you don't really give them that credit for it, which is good. No, Tom I Poughlin, don't give them credit for Tom that. Tom no, Coughlin's joining us get, tomorrow for that crazy catch no, on a
1: Don't do that. Don't do that. Ah! Don't do yes! that. Yes! That's that. Eli Those two him. things are not the same. Tyree, we don't give them credit. Well, Eli actually won the game didn't win the Tom
2: Coughlin tomorrow at 7.30 a.m. Eastern time so
1: we're not going to give you credit for your two Super Bowls. I like that. Uh, This guy drives me crazy. I don't even know what I'm going to do with him. Come back tomorrow, 6 a.m. Eastern? Uh, I guess we have no choice. <laughs> I guess I have no choice.
2: Greedy coming up next, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern time. We are on a Tuesday. Unsportsmanlike, ESPN Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle.